Appendix Part 7 of Angels of the Battlefield. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Angels of the Battlefield by George Barton. Appendix Part 7 Very Reverend James Francis Burlando, C.M. The Very Reverend James Francis Burlando of the Congregation of the Mission, who is mentioned several times in the text of this volume, was born on May 6, 1814, in the city of Genoa, Italy. Very early in life he became impressed with the desire of adopting the priesthood as his vocation, and on the 16th of February, 1837, his Archbishop, Cardinal Tadini, conferred on him the holy orders of subdeacon and deacon. Soon after this, he sailed for the United States and enlisted for the American missions under Rev. John Odin C.M., late Archbishop of New Orleans, who at that time was seeking recruits for the infant seminary at the Barrens, Missouri. Before Father Burlando could come here, he was obliged to meet and overcome a very strong opposition on the part of his good father, who, although a fervent Christian, could not bear the idea of being separated from his first-born son. The very day that Father Burlando was to be admitted to the novitiate, he perceived his father at the Archiepiscopal Hall, waiting for an audience with Cardinal Tadini. Guessing at once the motive of such an interview, namely, that he might exercise his authority and command the young deacon, in virtue of holy obedience, to remain with his father and family, which would prevent him from carrying out his holy desire, the young man sought to baffle the intention of his father by seeing the archbishop first and securing his permission and blessing. Accordingly, he had recourse to the following stratagem. He borrowed from his friends the various articles of a clerical suit, from one a hat, from another a cassock differing from his own, from a third a cloak, and to render the disguise more complete, he put on a pair of spectacles and wig. Thus equipped, he entered the house of the cardinal, had a conversation with him, in which he received his approbation and blessing, and passed out again, without being recognized by his father, who he left standing at the door, watching closely every young seminarian who entered. Fearing he might be discovered, the young man quickened his pace, and repaired immediately to the venerable R. Bartholomew Gazzano, the superior of the Lazarists, who received him. In the following June he left Genoa and repaired to Turin, where he was ordained priest on the ninth of July by the most reverend Aloysius Fransoni, archbishop of that see. To mitigate in some measure the pain which his good father experienced on account of this separation, Father Burlando wrote him a pressing invitation to honor and gratify him by being present at his first Mass on the 10th of July. Touched by his son's filial respect and affection, he at last relented and assisted with tearful devotion at the impressive ceremony. A few weeks after, Father Burlando went to the mother house in Paris, whence he set out for New Orleans. Having landed safely on the American shore, he proceeded by steamboat to Missouri, and reached the Seminary of the Barons towards the close of the same year. 
he filled many positions of trust and honor. The last and most important field of his apostolic labors was the community of the Daughters of Charity at the Central House of St. Joseph's, near Emmitsburg, Maryland, whither he repaired in the spring of 1853, and where he remained for the space of twenty-three years. During all that time, says Father Gandolfo, his assistant, I had more occasion than anyone else of observing his noble qualities of mind and heart. As a superior, he was always kind, discreet, obliging, generous, amiable and edifying in all that regarded the observance even of the least rule, beginning from rising at four o'clock in the morning at the first sound of the Benedicamus Domino. He was exceedingly charitable and ever ready to assist me at the first request in the performance of my duties, and this, notwithstanding his frequent attacks of neuralgia and weakness of the digestive organs, I never saw him misspend a minute of his time. If he was not occupied in answering his numerous correspondence, he was drawing plans of hospitals and other buildings, or attending to similar important affairs of the community. He never retired to rest without having first read the many letters he daily received from every quarter of the United States. Although he frequently retired very late, and slept but a few hours during the night, he was always ready for the hard labor of the next day. It was largely due to the wise administration of this worthy director that the community owed, and owes, its singular prosperity and development. It suffices to state that when he assumed the duties of his position, there were only three hundred members distributed among thirty-six houses, and he lived to see the white cornet on the brow of one thousand and forty-five daughters of St. Vincent, having under their control ninety-seven establishments for the service of the poor, affording relief for almost every species of misfortune. Owing to his superior knowledge of architecture, he not only planned, but personally supervised, the erection of the greater number of these charitable institutions. It would be impossible to enumerate the long and painful journeys he took, the multiplied dangers to which he exposed himself, and the many privations he endured for the particular welfare of the different establishments of the sisters. How many sleepless nights he passed during our late civil war! There were sisters in the north and sisters in the south, but, by his constant vigilance, his consummate prudence, his repeated fatherly admonitions, and especially by his continual and fervent prayers, he had the consolation of seeing the entire community free from all reproach and danger. He has left many valuable volumes which prove his ability as a writer as well as a thinker. One of these is The Ceremonial, which was entrusted to him by the most reverend Archbishop Kendrick, approved by the Principal Council, and which is now largely used throughout the United States. In this valuable work, all the details relative to the Mass and offices of the Church, the sacred vessels, and other articles used, are minutely described, so that solemnity, beauty, and becoming uniformity may be maintained. He also compiled the life of Father de Andres, the pioneer of the Lazarists in this country. To him we are also indebted for the publication of the beautiful life of 
Sister Eugenie, daughter of charity. A person remarked that he must be well and extensively known throughout the United States, as he was always traveling and had to register his name in the hotels. Oh no, he replied, I give my name in as many different languages as I can. In this way I pass unnoticed and get a little recreation at the expense of the poor recorder, who is often at a loss to spell the foreign name. He looks bewildered, repeats it several times, and casts an inquiring glance at me. Meantime, I pretend stupidity and leave him write whatever he likes. Then, you see, Francis Borlando is not known. This devoted priest breathed his last on Sunday, February 16th, 1873, at the close of a day well spent in the exercise of his sacred functions. The funeral service took place in the central house of the Sisters of Charity, St. Joseph's, Emmitsburg. February the 19th, and the remains were interred in the little cemetery of the Sisters of Charity, besides the mortuary chapel, wherein repose the venerated remains of saintly Mother Seton, foundress of the Sisters of Charity in the United States. End of Appendix Part 7